the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea see miracles. Hallelujah. Amen. I tell you, I'd get ready for my miracle if I were you. Amen. Because we will see miracles. You got a barren son who has a womb of his heart, of his soul, that is lost and don't know Jesus. You got a daughter that is out in the world that's in sin who's a barren womb and there's no life and maybe all circumstances around says there's no hope but we're a people who will see miracles that against hope we believe in hope amen when all hope is against us we believe anyhow because we're people who will see miracles We'll see miracle in our sons and our daughters. We'll see miracles in our church. We'll see miracles in our families. We'll see miracles of healing and miracles of salvation. Miracles of deliverance. And every one of us will be a miracle. A trophy of the grace of God. Let's just worship him today. Amen. Jesus, we love you today. And Lord, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation. Lord, we're not ashamed to express our love and our appreciation to you. And sometimes our emotion just kind of gets the best of us. Lord, when we're just overwhelmed of the grace that surrounds us. The mercies that always endure. The blessings that just keep on flowing. Lord, we thank you. We're asking for your grace today to permeate our lives and for your spirit to move. Lord, that every cloud, every darkness, every unbelief would leave. I'm just looking to you today, Lord, as I just step here for a moment. Lord, I I don't know how to explain it. But I'm just looking, Lord, like a child looking at the swinging of the rope for that right moment just to jump into the anointing. Lord, and then to move with that anointing. Lord, may it be today that we not just be bystanders looking on, but every one of us become ones that put our faith into action. I ask God that you'll speak to us. Thou knowest, Lord, the needs of your people. Lord, the things that we, we deal with around the world, Lord, your precious ministry, Lord, and their burdens around the world, those God-called men that stands for truth, may, Lord, they stand in their pulpits today without fear or favor and preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I pray, Lord, that you'll do it today. And in our service here today, anoint us. Bless those that are around the world, Lord. Oh, God, as it reaches globally today into the far-reaching lands. 
Lord, there are many burdens, there are many situations. But may God, they look, they quit looking with eyes of, of their own understanding and begin to look with eyes of faith and see things from a different perspective today. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Anoint the words we speak for God's glory. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you and the Lord. Good to be in the house of the Lord together. Numbers chapter 33, verse 53. We're going to read this again, these words given to Israel. And then I would like to look at John 15, 7 as we uh, worship the Lord together this morning. Amen. Amen. All right. Numbers 33, verse 53. And ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein, for I have given you the land to possess it. Oh, doesn't that just sound wonderful? Then I would like you to turn with me to John chapter 15 and verse 7. And these are the words of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, whom we alone believe in for our salvation. Amen. John 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done to you. And herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so shall you be my disciples. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. What a wonderful words of life. We're going to be speaking today on the in the land of the land where faith prevails. Amen. I believe that there is a prevailing faith for this day. You know, and, and we preach on things like this because we are trying to get the church into the place that we can really see apostolic times moving among us. I believe that's what we all hunger for is is that and of course i believe we're in the hour for it we see it but we want more of it amen and i we want it to flow we want it to flow like the little baby's name was brook we want it to be a flowing brook amen and and we want it to flow and help us and flow out to others so this is our um desire to to be a channel for that faith that god can move through now, when we speak about the land, we know the, the land that the Israelites would leave from as um, we could look into the, the, this time it was as a time of redemption as they were redeeming, God was redeeming Israel from Egypt and bringing them back into their land of promise. And um, the book of Exodus is a book of redemption and of course in our exodus this is the 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 hour of redemption and i believe that we're in a time of of full redemption this is why seven angels would appear to the prophet of god because it shows completion and that we are we're in the hour of full redemption and um, so Egypt would be a land full of unbelief and bondage and slavery. But we have left the land of unbelief and we've entered into the land of faith. Amen. And this is a land where faith uh, prevails because without faith you cannot please God. 
And so to please God is to, of course, possess the promises that he gave you in his word to possess. And, and of course, then we read from um, John, uh, the words of our Savior, where he says, if you live in me and my words live in you, and then you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. And so, uh, again, we are to abide uh, in th- that land because it's only in that land where that we can be blessed. That's where our inheritance lays. Our inheritance does not lay out of the promises of God. Our inheritance lays in the Holy Ghost, in the Word of God. And so we are to abide and be blessed in the promised land. But the land that was given to Israel was given to, you know, was subject to one little word, if. And that Deuteronomy 20, 28, 15, it lists all the blessings ahead of this. But then it says, but it shall come to pass if. Now this is a very, very, um, uh, this is a clause in the covenant, if you would say. In other words, it makes it um, conditional on, on this if. And, and this if thou wilt not hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all of his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all of these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. So again, if they did not, Observe the commandments and his statutes and listen to the voice of God. Then all the curses that were listed in the book would come upon them. Then, then, um, when we look at ours, you know, they, I would like to just say the word to the spiritual Israelites is contingent upon the same if. Now, I, I understand when I say that. That we have an unconditional covenant. And it's not based on what we do, but upon what God does. And so, again, um, but I want to look back at uh, uh, verse 7 of chapter 15. And we're going to see the same word, if. If you abide, or if you live in me. And my words uh, live in you, you shall ask what you will. So again, um, though it is an unconditional covenant, and we have no argument about that, that um, yet it is conditional, it is only unconditional if we live in the land, if we dwell in Christ. And that, uh, to dwell in Christ, is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. So the promises of God are continue, can, uh, you know, it's required upon this one thing, this requirement that you must have the Holy Spirit to dwell in this land. And then, of course, then abiding in Him, and He abides in us, then we ask what we will. And it shall be given to us. In other words, the whole land and everything in the promises of God belong to us because we are dwelling in Christ. I mean, he's with me now. So if you abide. Now, you say, but how do we abide in Christ? Now, the reformers had a, and there's many, many books that they wrote 
great books of men like Andrew Murray, um, who wrote for, uh, he was a, a, a man from South Africa and he wrote for, um, a, a movement there that was, uh, and wrote so many wonderful books on abiding in Christ. And, and, and many, many of these were, talking about how you abide in Christ and to abide in Christ was you know so much reading of your Bible and so much studying the books and 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 feeding on the word and here's how you abide in Christ that's not how you abide in Christ that's the understanding of the reformers but that is not our revelation the way that we abide in Christ is that the spirit of Jesus abide in us you see, it's a, a, a oneness, a unity. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. It's a oneness between you and God. So uh, how do you dwell in Christ? There is only one way to dwell in Christ, and that is being baptized into his body. All right? And that means that we are filled with his Holy Spirit. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into that body. And so to be filled with the spirit means that you are living in Christ. And you are, you are flesh of his flesh and you're spirit of his spirit. In other words, you're the body that he's living and operating in. So if you, if my words live in you, you shall ask what you will. And the word will drive out the inhabitants of the land. You know, God would say to, even to Israel, you know, I will go before you and I will be a hornet and I will drive them. I will, I, I will drive them out of the land before you. And this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to you that the Holy Spirit that you have, Within you will drive out every enemy that is trying to possess a promise of your property that the word of God clearly gives to you in his holy Bible. Now, so, but again, if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, then it shall become to pass that those things which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land where you dwell. So that's Numbers 33, 55. So he tells you, if you let things stay there, if you, if you don't take some action, then, then you're going to be vexed, you're going to be troubled, there'll be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your side. And, and so again, we know that we're in a battle today. And the, the, the battle is set array, setting right at every heart of every person that's in this building this morning. And he's, he's sitting there saying, well, I've tried before, or I've heard that before, or we, we have made efforts before. But you see, you don't need to argue with the devil. Our job is to cast him out. Amen. So what the Bible say, he said to cast him out. In my name, you shall cast out devils. Amen. And we have been trained to do that. And Brother Branham would ask the question, what's the matter with us preachers? I wonder what kind of training that we've got. 
that God's training us for this great battle. Um, and, and Daniel 12 shows us that there'll be a troublesome time like never before. But, but in that hour, Michael shall stand up. And Revelation chapter 9 shows us um, unbelief that would permeate the world. And it would be like a smoke that has been let out of a pit. And it would get into every crack and crevice of humanity. And every kind of demon power would operate under that cloud of unbelief that would be released into this hour, this age. You read it in the Bible. It's a time where the bottomless pit is open. And every kind of smoke and and spirit of unbelief is coming out. And under that cloud of unbelief, it allows every kind of demon power to take a hold of people. Amen. But I want you to remember Revelation 10, 1 begins like this. If you just put it up on there, it begins with a conjunction because it's a continuation of the chapter before. And the chapter before has told us of a, of a great smoke and a great darkness and all worship and the beast and all, all falling down to, to the, and worshiping and idolizing the spirits that are coming out of this, this spirit of darkness. But I want you to notice as it concludes that chapter, it opens up into Revelation 10 and it says, and I saw another mighty angel. Now the other one describes Apollyon. The other describes a horrible devil. The, the other the other chapter describes a troublesome time. It it describes a time where 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 there's all kinds of spirits. Can you imagine the spirits that's got upon people today that they'll kill their own babies in the womb? Whether we're praying for the safety and the life of a child in the womb, that they are actually taking the lives of their own babies as they're being born what an hour what a terrible day that we're living in amen and, and so Apollyon is there and, and he is there roaring like a lion but I want you to notice that he's not the only one on the scene <coughs> and that we're not here by ourselves but he said and I saw another and he was a mighty angel I want to say that at the name of Jesus, Apollyon has to fall. At the name of Jesus, every demon that comes out of the pit that is destroying our families, that is destroying the moral fiber of this country, that is wrecking the world. I say at the name of this mighty angel, this mighty one, this mighty Messiah, this mighty Christ, at the name of Jesus, every name to bow, cancer has to bow, sickness has to bow, pornography has to bow, sin has to bow, drunkenness has to bow, everything has to bow to the name of Jesus. And that's what we're looking at this morning. I'm not looking at Apollyon and how big he is. I'm looking at this mighty angel. That's what my eyes are on. I saw another mighty angel. Hallelujah. 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 That's what my eyes are upon. Because I'm not blinded 
by the unbelief of the smoke out of the out of the pit. Now the battle is here. It depends on which one's your captain. And the Goliath is here. His name, oh, he's a lot worse than the Goliath back there at David's time. He's Apollyon. Amen. Yeah, he's evil. He's the one that deceived Eve from the beginning. He's the old, he is that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Amen. But who will be a David in this hour? Amen. Who will take that little slingshot of faith? And take it against the enemy. But I want you to know God's army is moving forward. We are not retreating. But yet God has called men and women of faith. Men of power. And men and women of understanding. Not that they're smart in this world. Not that they're educated. But they, but they are channels. Through whom the spirit of God can flow down through. If we would look at this mighty angel in Revelation 10, we will see he conquers with his feet. Because he puts his feet upon the two beasts and the powers that are there that are rising out of the land and the sea. So he conquers with his feet. And these feet are as it were pillars of fire. So where he touches the earth... Amen. Where, where he has his boots on the ground. Amen. His feet is his church. And with his church, he is triumphant. Amen. And they are pillars of fire. Because why? He divided himself on the day of Pentecost among 120 in the upper room. And he gave his spirit. Amen. Within the church that every one of you that could have a lick of the pillar of fire. Amen. That you could possess in your temple the Holy One, the Almighty, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And the power that lays within you is no less than his power. (laughs) But we have to be channels. We all desire to be channels for this prevailing faith. But in order to have prevailing faith, we must be a people who live and dwell in the word of the Bible. In order to know their God and do exploits. Amen. And of course, by God dwelling in them, they are God's sons and daughters. And because his life indwells them, and this, this makes them to live by faith. And, and of course, they are marching. If you remember in Revelation 19, for example, there's an army coming out of heaven, which is a future event, but I just want to use it for a moment, that, that the armies of heaven follow. They follow the word. And I want you just to, I just want to just touch on it just for a moment because that, that is a future application, but I just want to take it right now that even on earth that there's an army and we're following the word. Amen. We're following the word. And of course we're, we're exactly like him. He was on a white horse. We're on white horses. If he comes in power, the word, we come in power, the word. 
Amen. If, we're, if he's dressed in holiness, we're dressed in holiness. Whatever he is, we are. Amen. And, and together we're an army. Amen. So you see, our captain, as we want to just look at him for a moment, we want to see that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Remember, we saw in the scripture, he would cast out devils with a word. That's what he expects you to do with the word. The word isn't to give you a diploma in knowledge. The word is given to you to cast out devils with. Amen. To, to push Satan out of your life, to be an overcomer. So you see in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, who be in the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, he by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus is not only the creator, but he holds dominion over his creation. Every son of God that is born of the new creation is also uh, one who has dominion. If we look back in Eden and we, we talk about the, uh, Adam, the way that he was, the way, when God made him, he gave him dominion. Amen. Now we cannot come into sonship and not have dominion. The Bible said he made us unto our God kings and priests. Amen. So you can't be a king unless you're ruling over something. So a real son of God that is born of the spirit of God is people who rules by the word of God. Are you with me now? So every son of God is, is born of the new creation. And they have dominion. In other words, they have prevailing faith. They have faith that will dominate in every situation. You see, everything Jesus did for needy humanity during his earthly ministry is a direct revelation of the perfect will of God for the human race. So Jesus operated with perfect faith. And that faith dominated. It prevailed over every circumstance. Jesus ruled the winds and the waves of the sea by faith. Amen. Now, now listen, Jesus, he didn't just have this plan for himself, but he also had this plan for his children. It was not only him that walked on water, but he made disciples to walk on water. Amen. And in Matthew chapter 8, verse 26... He said to them, why are you fearful and you have little faith? And then he arose. Now, he uses prevailing faith and rebuked the winds and the seas. And there was a great calm. So we see he ruled the winds. He ruled the sea. He had dominion over his creation. His authority then dumbfounded those that was around him. They had never seen a son of God operate. And a son of God was now operating in his faith. And they, they marveled in verse 27 saying, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? This was, this was the character of Jesus. It was a characteristic of his ministry. Now, the reason I'm bringing this out is because the works that I do shall you do also. 
These are the things that he cemented in the gospel. To make sure that you understand that you are not to be the downtrodden. You are not to be the weak. You are not to be running from your enemy. You are to be people who are overcomers. And you are rising up above things. And you expect the miracles that are promised in the word of God. Are you with me? Amen. So, as I said, you know, the trademark of Jesus, even his doctrine, his, they marveled at his doctrine because he didn't preach as a Pharisee or a Sadducee, but he had authority with his words. And this is the difference of real disciples of Jesus and the real doctrine of Jesus. Come on now. Is because there is authority that is, that is given with the word that is preached. And that authority is over unclean spirits. That authority is over sickness. That authority is over diseases. It is over sin. Are you with me now? Amen. Now when the word is preached correctly, it will have authority with it. That's why there's so many that are preaching and they're using quotes of the prophet of God. But their message that they have is weak. And it will not save and it will not heal and it will not deliver and it will not produce even joy or a rejoicing. It is dead because their faith is dead. Amen. But the faith of Jesus is a living faith. It is a prevailing faith. It is more than just a doctrine, but it is a doctrine with authority. A people who know their God and they do exploits. Jesus ruled the fish in the sea. For the book of Luke, it tells of him saying to Peter, put your net on the other side. And Peter's could say, now, I'll tell you what, I, I know I'm a fisherman. There's not a fish around. I've already fished all night and I didn't catch anything. But nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. You see, that's where the nets were filled instantly. And because that's where faith prevails. And the same was true after his resurrection. Jesus had bread and fish on the fire. Bread that was never first wheat. And then ground into bread. And fish that had never been in the sea. And yet he could say, children, have you any meat? A man cast your net on the right side of the boat. And because he had rule over the fish. Amen. And there was 153 that they caught. And they got so many until their nets began to break. Is that right? Amen. But he already had showed he had dominion. He had a prevailing faith. We're talking about Jesus. And you say, but that was Jesus. Jesus was only demonstrating what God is to be in your flesh. Amen. Amen. Now, in Mark 1, 32, when the sun did set, and they were brought unto him. They brought unto him all that were diseased. And them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases. And cast out many devils. And suffered not the devils to speak. Because they knew him. 
You see, Jesus ruled over devils. They, demons had to recognize his lordship because he gave them or he had dominion over them. And he commissioned his church to do the same. And I'll tell you what, today we ought to make it up in our minds, in our hearts today. I am going to declare war on the devil. Amen. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna allow him live here on one piece of my property. Amen. I have been told to drive him out. And I know the Lord will go before me with hornets. Amen. I know that God will torment devils on my sake. Amen. That he'll go before me and the pillar of fire moves before us. Is somebody with me now? Amen. And because we must declare war on every form of sickness and take authority over every demon power through the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, the book of John illustrates that Jesus is Lord over the grave. I'll tell you, we're going to need some of that. We're going to need to be able to exercise that lordship. Amen. For at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus was master of the dead. And no matter whether the circumstances, whether what they said, Lazarus was dead. He looked dead. The doctor declared him dead. He felt dead. He smelled dead. But Jesus had dominating faith over death anyway. Irregardless of all what the senses said. Come on. He had dominating faith over every bit of that. He had dominion over the trees. He would walk by a tree who who had died and say to that tree, command it to die. No fruit come forth forth from you from this day on. And by, by his own faith, it dried up from the roots. He had prevailing faith. Amen. It was by faith he made the worlds. And it was by faith. That the righteous are to live by. Come on now. The just or the righteous shall live by faith. We're, we're not, listen church, we're not just to have faith. We are to live by that faith. We are to exercise that faith. We're to move in that faith. And we are to prevail with that faith. Now. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. This says, I am crucified with Christ. Therefore I am, I am dead to sin and unbelief. Right? If we're crucified, we're dead to sin and unbelief. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Here again, we live by faith. Whose faith? His faith. You see, to be born of God is to be born and have his attributes. And God believes. He believes his own word. This is how he created the world. He said, let there be, and he believed it. Amen. He proclaimed it, and he stood behind it, believing it. 
That's exactly right. And there is nothing such as prevailing power as a revelation of the word. It's a revelation of God that will give you authority of the devil. And you wonder what kind of revelation is that? It's a revelation. I am a son of God. And if I'm his son, then I'm in his image. And if he had prevailing power and prevailing faith, I have that same faith that will prevail in my life. That will defeat every devil. That will help me to overcome. That nothing can stop us. Alright. Now so again. That is our revelation. By our first birth. When we were born. As this little baby was born. And we talk about it. When we were born. All of us like the same. We used to live. And we were by our our five senses. But you see, in our new birth, we do not live by see, taste, smell, feeling here. It has nothing to do with this realm. It has nothing to do with God. It is only things that you contact the earth. It is not what you contact heaven with. Amen. So, so again, it is only faith is the only thing that contacts that other realm. Faith is the only thing that can see that other realm. Faith can see what you cannot feel, what you cannot see naturally, what you cannot hear with your ears, what you cannot feel with your hands, what you can't smell with your nose, what you can't taste with your mouth. Amen. Faith sees what your senses cannot declare. And without it, you're blind to all that heaven is. This is why without faith, you cannot please God. Now, our first birth, as I said, it caused us to be born blind. We were born in sin, and so we were blind to the supernatural. We were blind to, to the realms, the things of God, and the promises of God. We were only sense-bound people. We had no true faith, only mental faith. Our second birth, the Holy Ghost gives us the faith for what was otherwise impossible. Amen. When we, when we look here today, I'm looking upon men and women that it was impossible. Their situation was impossible to save. Impossible to be delivered of. Things that AA couldn't help you with. Things that medicines that the doctors would give could not cure. Amen. But it it gave you the ability to do that which was impossible. To believe for the impossible. Amen. Because those who believe all things are possible to them that believe. Amen. But, But you see... Too often, we do not have real faith. We have mental faith. And that's the problem, is the faith that people have requires feeling. It requires seeing. It requires hearing. And the biggest part of our faith today is mental faith. By hearing the word of God, it brings us into a mental recognition and acknowledgement of God. We mentally agree. Mental faith is based on the five senses. This is, this is why Brother Branham would try to tell us in our new birth, don't be dependent on emotion or a sensation 
or a tongue or dance. Don't let that be what you're looking for, dependent upon. You're, you're placing your faith in the unfailable, unseekable Word of God. And that's where your foundation is when you don't feel saved. Amen. When you're not feeling it anymore, you know what God said. And you can see the evidence where it worked all down to the Bible. And it works right here among us. And it's worked in my life. And today, whether I feel it or not, I know I'm saved. I'm on where, where the outward man perishes. And where that is depressed. And where it gets confused. There is something that holds within the veil in every storm. It's an anchor of the soul. But mental faith is based on the five senses. It looks so much like real faith that it's so deceiving that most people don't know the difference. Mental faith is a mental acknowledgement that the word of God is true. Mental faith will see it. Mental faith admires it. Mental faith you know, acknowledges it, all of this, but all the while saying it's true, but it's not my case. You see, mental faith agrees that the word of God is a revelation, that it comes from God, and every word is true. Yet when a crisis comes, it don't work. It simply recognizes the truthfulness of the wonderful promises that it contains, but it never acts upon it. Mental faith is intellectual faith. It's a dead faith because real faith is alive. Real faith acts. The Bible tells us clearly that faith that doesn't act is dead. It says faith without works, but it's the same thing. If it has no action, if it doesn't work, it's dead. Amen. We can say, I believe in miracles, but we must act upon that. Amen. We can, we can say, I believe as a healer, but we must act upon that. We, must, we can say, well, I believe the Holy Ghost is every generation, but we must act upon that. Amen. We must believe it. We must profess it. We must confess it. We must own it as our own. And we must prevail with it. Now, well, this is what many people have received is just a mental faith. An acknowledgement that the message is right. And the glory of what it was done in the past. But they know nothing of its power. Mental faith will not heal. It will not see miracles. I'll just share you a little quotation from God's only provided place. Brother Branham was saying this just before he departs from this life. In fact, I probably was there when he, when he spoke this. I was a young boy. But he says, I believe the church is beginning to hear the message. And beginning to understand it. But friends, listen. We've got to lay in the presence of the Son. We've got to be ripened. Our faith isn't ripe. Intellectually, we're hearing the message that God has given us. And we're seeing the signs that he showed us and proving it by the Bible it's there. But oh, how the church needs to lay in his presence till it tenders up. 
you know, and get sweet in the spirit so it can just bathe down. Sometimes speaking the message, you get harsh and you have to break it in like that because you got to clench a nail to make it whole. But once the church, when the church once gets it, the elected is called out and separated. Then in the presence of God, I know it, it will be like, it will be something like those people were beyond the curtain of time was, was when it takes the rapture. Now, you see, beyond the curtain of time, they don't question whether God is true. Beyond the curtain of time, you know, all doubts are settled. The word is not argued. There's no war within them. Amen. Beyond the curtain of time, the word is settled eternally in heaven. Beyond the curtain of time, there's no doubt among them. They're full of the Holy Ghost. They never doubt. They rest upon the fact that Jesus is coming back. Amen. They rest upon knowing that this message is what Paul preached. Amen. There's no murmuring or second guessing what they believe. And we've got to be in that same state. Before the rapture comes, that our faith is secure, that it is settled, that it is anchored, and that it is ripe, and a mature faith. A faith that prevails. Now, again, this is, this is the hour that we're at. You see, we must know our position. Because even Brother Branham would say, once the church knows its position, when they realize who they are, when you realize what the blood has done for you, people don't even realize what's in the atonement. They don't even realize that it's God's will for you to be healed. That Jesus paid it all. That it's already paid for. That he doesn't have to do one more thing to provide it for you. It's a finished work. Amen. It's a finished work. And, and, and you're under the blood. And he has taken your sins. And he has pardoned your transgression. Oh, I want to say, he's more than pardoned it. He's removed them. He's annihilated every sin of your past. And you stand justified as though you never did it. And yet you know you did it. Amen. But in his sight, you never done it. Because he's not looking at what you were as a child of the devil. He's looking at who you are as a son of God. And he sees you as you were in his mind. He didn't see you deformed and crepit in your spirit. He didn't see you weary and worn down. He saw you. Job saw you. He said, where were you when the sons of God were shouting for joy? Amen. What was he doing? He was already seeing you shout. Right here in this Laodicean age, I'm an overcomer. Drugs couldn't get me. Alcohol couldn't get me. Sin couldn't get me. Adultery couldn't get me. Nothing could get me. And there's nothing can separate me from the love of God. I am an overcomer. My faith prevails. But positionally, people don't know who they are. 
They don't even know what they don't. They don't even. Sometimes there's been so much confusion that people don't even know he's still on the mercy seat. That he's still the high priest. That he still can be touched by the feelings of your infirmity. They don't. They, they become so educated until God's out of the picture. You're sons and daughters of God. That's who you are. Not will be. The Bible declares now. You are the sons of God. And a lot of times you're looking for something great to come. But you've already got it. You got the greatest thing that can be given to you to your body change. And that's the Holy Ghost. Amen. And right now you are seated with him in heavenly places. And if you're with him, then you you can sit with him and expect every enemy to come under your feet. Because that's what he does on his throne. He has sat down expecting every enemy to come and have to bow down before him. And when you're sitting with Christ, you're doing the same thing. You are sitting there expecting every enemy to have to come down and bow and acknowledge that you're a son of God, bought by the blood, and have the authority to cast him out. We're right now seated with him. Now when faith gets like that in the church, the devil moves away from the church. I want you to know, and we're going to be speaking on this in services to come, but Satan has no legal rights. Everything that he does to you is illegally done. God does not allow it. You say, well, God, he allowed this to happen. Listen, God allowed man to sin in the beginning. He didn't make him a robot. God allowed him to make a choice. Amen. But friends, don't go to talking about that choice. Amen. Let's go back to this choice. He chose me. What about that choice? We want to point back to man's choice and his choosing failure. What about God choosing you to be one with prevailing faith and an overcomer? He chose you to be a peculiar people. To be a different, somebody that he owns, somebody that's his bride, somebody that he can say, that's flesh of my flesh and life of my life. I chose you to be that. Let's, Let's just go over just a simple, simple thing. Let's go back to Ephesians 1 and verse 1. I'll have them bring it on the screen because I, I can't. I I, I didn't have this in my notes. But Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, one sent, one sent, that's what an apostle is, by the will of God to the saints, which are in Ephesus, and not just to him, but to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you. And peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is him saying like he did to Mary. You're highly favored of the Lord. There's got a lot of grace that is upon your life. You're highly favored. 
Grace be to you and peace from God our Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who hath blessed us with some blessings. Oh, I'm glad you wasn't asleep. Hallelujah. Amen. I, I, I hope you don't throw me over in with them bunch of deceiving preachers. Well, you got some of them. But we're right here. Oh! Spiritual blessings. Where, where does these blessings flow? In our position in the Holy Ghost. Amen. We have, he has blessed us. If we're in the Holy Ghost, if, we, if His Word abides in us, if we abide in Him, if we have His Spirit, amen, He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in our position. So our position comes with blessings. So we're blessed every way you look. No harm can come. Come on. Amen. We, we're blessed. Look at it next. Look at what he said. According as he hath. You didn't choose him. He chose you. Amen. When did he choose you? Ah. Uh, when? Oh, then before you sinned. Before you did anything wrong. Before you had that past. He chose you. He chose you in spite of everything the devil tried to do to you. He chose you anyhow. When did he choose you? Not at the altar, but before the foundation of the world. And the thing about this God, he can never, ever, ever, ever change his mind about you. He can never change his mind. You say, well, I wasn't that, Brother Tim, but he chose you to be. And because he chose you to be, look what he did. He didn't choose you because you were holy. Look at the Bible. Or without blame. Because you know good and well, you were not holy and you were not without blame. Right? But that's not what it said. He chose you to be holy. He chose you to be without blame. He chose you to be a spotless bride. And you say, well, I wasn't that. And Brother Tim, but you see, if God's chose you to be that, and he said you would be that, and that was in his mind, and the devil did something to you, then he's going to do the work of redemption to do everything in all of his godship and his lordship to bring you to this very place, to bring a word that will wash you, to bring a blood that will save you and cleanse you and purge you and make you spotless. Because he said you're going to be that. 
Now this is a God that demands perfection. And when he was on earth, he said, be you therefore perfect. How perfect, Lord, as even my Father in heaven is perfect. Well, let's close up and go home. Ain't none of us can do that. But that's only one side of the coin. Amen. If he he said you got to be that, and you can't, and I couldn't. And you couldn't. And no man could. Then he came down and took your sin. So you could be his righteousness. So you could be as perfect. As your father in heaven is perfect. Hallelujah. That's who I'm preaching to this morning. The, amen. That there's no shame on you. That you are the miracle. That you are the one that he chose. And made a miracle out of your life. And when you couldn't, he came in you to do it. That was the problem with the law. He told them what he wanted done. But they had no power to do it. So Jesus came to give us the power. And it's all in the atonement. He paid it all. Look at the next verse. Well, he predestinated you unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Do you know you were predestinated to become a son? Before you were known as a son, he predestinated you to adoption. He predestinated you to the Holy Ghost. He predestinated you to the body change. He's predestinated you all the way. Do you know what predestinated means? It means he determined your destiny. So do you know what I'm talking to this morning? I'm talking to the people whose destiny has been determined. Come on. Amen. If God, now now stop this for a minute. If God told David and he pours the anointing oil over David and he anoints him there with oil and there he pours it upon that little, little guy David and said, you're going to sit on the throne. Now, if a Goliath could come around and kill him, God's word isn't true. So David could come up against a Goliath. And no, he had been anointed. A prophet had anointed him with oil and told him, you're going to sit on the throne. And so no Goliath could stand before him. So when he looked at Goliath, he already knew he's defeated. Hallelujah. You can look at every obstacle. You can look at every problem. Because God sent a message in this day. A prophet has anointed you with the oil of the Holy Ghost. And poured out the anointing oil upon the people in this end time. And you are anointed. To what? Sit on the throne. Read your Bible. Read what it said about Laodiceans. 
Amen. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Not you're going to do it without a battle, but even as I overcame and I sat down with my father in his throne, you're going to overcome. I'm trying to tell you this morning, you are going to overcome. I'm trying to tell you, you're not in the winner's circle. You're the winner. Hallelujah. How are you going to do this? By the prevailing faith that's in me. So he predestinated us into adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Just because of the good pleasure of his own will. Not because of what you did or didn't do. Because of his good pleasure of doing what he wanted to do. Because he wants to bless you. Because he wants to empower you. Because he wants you to walk in victory. Because he wants you to defeat that sickness in your body, that cancer, that heart trouble, that disease. That what? Because he wants you. Because he wants you to rise up over sin. Do you know the victory that Jesus has in you? You know this is why he wears many crowns? Because it's not just his victory that he's wearing. Where he rose up over death, head of hell and the grave. But here upon his head are many crowns. Because really he's the one that had victory in your life, my life, every life. Come on. Amen. So therefore, amen. He is the one who is crowned with our victory. This is why heaven laughs. Did somebody hear me? Heaven laughs when one sinner repents. So it rejoices. Well, okay, I laugh when I rejoice. I shout, I scream, I cry, I laugh. And heaven laughs. It laughs at the devil. You thought you had that one? Ha ha. You thought you had the woman at the well? Ha ha. You covered her up with every kind of sin. Ha ha. You thought you could stop me. Ha ha. But I had a divine appointment for her life. And I needed to go by Samaria. And I went out of my way to find her. And God will go out of his way to find you. And you. And you. And you. And bring a divine appointment for your life. Because God has a need for victory. And he has a need for victory in your life. And he knows nothing you've been through. Nothing the devil can do. No matter how many attempts he's tried. Nothing can stop his plan. Or take you from your destiny. Why well, that ought to give us something to shout about. You're chosen Elect, precious, valuable. Something he would leave all of heaven for and give up. 
give up the very throne to come down and be one of us. To take on our burden. To prevail. Now, let's think of this. Chosen us in him before the foundational world. Hope you mind it, didn't mind that little sachet right there. Satan hadn't got any legal right on you. Everything he does to you is illegal. He has no right to put sickness on you, disease. He doesn't have any right to do anything to you. Amen. We got every promise in the word of God, what God said he would do. Come on now. Israel goes in there. The other people have no right to that land. They cannot, they cannot stay on any piece of the property. Every bit of it belongs to Israel. Are you with me? Amen. The Golan Heights belong. Amen. The West Bank belongs. Everything that God said in his word belongs. And every devil there is has got to get off. Amen. He's got to get, if he's a squatter on your healing, he's got to get off. If he's a squatter on your joy, he's got to get off. If he's a squatter on any of the divine promise of God, he's got to get off. And you have the right to throw him off. And the job of the believer is to cast him out, not live with the monkey on your back. When you were born again, by the baptism of the Holy Ghost coming to your heart, everything you have needed for the journey is in you right then. It's in the Holy Ghost. And all you got to do is start drinking and push out. Just like a little, a little, a little apple seedling. It's got every apple that will ever be in it. In the seedling. Amen. It's got every apple. It's got every leaf. It's got every branch. All of it is in the seed. And when God gives you the Holy Ghost, everything's in the Holy Ghost. And all you got to do is just put your roots down in the Word of God and drink of the Holy Spirit those nutrients that are in the soil of the Word and bring them up and push out. And the more you drink, the more and the more you push out, the bigger you have and the more fruits you have. Now, that's the problem, though. Why why remain a little dwarf apple when we can be a big fruit tree? This is the Father's will that you bring forth much fruit, and that fruit shall remain. This is what we found in the the book of, of, of John. But since bound faith is dependent on feelings... Or seeing, but you must act on the word as your probably as your as your personal property. You know, let me just share some thoughts of this. Uh, when a man can have uh, an intellectual faith, and that's where most people get today, calling themselves Christian. The reason you're carrying on as you do under the name of Christianity is only intellectual faith. This is why this is why people can call themselves Christian and smoke and drink, and when they're just church joiners and they they just go right on, and, and because they have intellectual faith. 
You see, you say, but what, what do you mean by intellectual faith? Well, man believeth unto salvation, and faith cometh by hearing, hearing the word of God. And we can preach the word, and you can accept it. And you say, well, that's right, I believe it. But if that's all the far, far as you go, you'll never get very far with God. You see, that's very, that's just intellectual faith. That is an acknowledgement that the word is right. And this is the reason that a lot of people don't get healed. Is because they're only taking an intellectual view of it. What their mind conceives, but the mind can, will reason and say, it can't be. I, I'm no better. My sense of sight says, um, my arm is no straighter than it was yesterday. Or my sense of evil said, I don't feel any difference than I used to, than I felt before. And reasoning and mental theology will reason it out and say, well, wait a minute. I, 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 that's got to be foolishness then, you see. And the moment you start reasoning, you know, it, it's, it's, it's showing that your faith was only intellectual. But once the faith comes from the mind, the intellect, down into the heart it'll never question it anymore it's absolutely a, a fact it'll agree with the word of God and that's the reason people don't get where they should be is because they have a mental conception of God you believe in by the intellectual faith but that'll never work it'll never prevail it's a dead faith it's a faith that is, that is dependent on how I feel today or my circumstances or something else, you know. But when your faith is brought down into the compartment of the heart, when it's resident within the soul, and that revelation is that God is, and that He rewards those that diligently seek Him, then faith says it so anyhow. No matter what our feeling says, no matter what our thinking says, no matter what our sight declares, amen, faith says it so anyhow. God's word is true no matter what I see, what I feel, what, what, I, what the circumstances are. Now, there must be a people with eyes of faith who can see beyond what the five senses declare. They cannot be just blinded Laodiceans. Now, Laodicea, their faith is blinded by the glamour of what they see around them. And they see, you know, the success of Laodicea, and, and, and they see that as God's blessings. God's blessings is not, I mean, I, I think God could bless you with riches, that's, that's fine, but a lot of times riches is a curse. Amen. There's nothing more valuable than being a Christian. Amen. Your wealth, a lot of people look for a lot of things, but the value, what's really value is being a son or daughter of God. If you live in a pole barn or whatever you live in, you know, that doesn't matter. You know, that doesn't even make who you are. Whatever it is, the word must live. Now, of course, you know, we can have generations. They would start maybe, maybe they would start with their eyes and they would bind them up. And you start for generation after generation. Every child is born and you make them, well, you know, where they can never see. You know, a baby, when it's born, it has the eyes. But it can't focus. It can't, it can't. There's a lot of things that it's not discerning. 
And it's not focusing and it's not seeing clearly and it's only seeing. And it's not, doesn't have the perception. But through use, that sense is developed. Amen. And the older he gets, the more he begins to see and becomes alert to what's around and begins to see further and further and further because his sense is exercised. Now, as we're, we're saying that, if you don't use your senses, they become dormant. They won't act at all. It is said that if you bind up the child for this generation and never let him see, he never learns to see, and then the next generation, and then after a while, children will, will, of that lineage will be born unable to see. Now, because if we don't use our senses, they become dormant. They won't act at all. And, the, and that's what the church has done to the sixth sense. Of faith that God put in him. He played, you know, we place faith off. You know that we, we don't have miracles no more. We don't have healing. We don't have, you know, and we shut our eyes to faith until we refuse to see that signs are to follow them that believe. And, and, and we, we disc, we, we discount them and we become sightless and unable to believe it's miracles. And I just want you to understand, this is the whole thing. We've had generations, generations of church religion that has put blinders on the eyes of the people. Days of miracles are past. It was only for then. And it ain't for now. And God can, but not God will. And all of the other myriads of generations of unbelief. Until we got Christians who are born blind. And faithless. Because they're only born with intellectual faith. But God wants his children to have prevailing faith. He wants them to have his faith. Amen. To live by the faith of the Son of God. Amen. So again, we, we begin to have things. And, and, and first thing you know, it's, we know that a lot of it is because there's a lack of faith that is preached. Can I just say something? The reason there are not miracles that are happening in the Lutheran church is because they're not taught. It's not preached. It's not preached that Jesus is the same. I'm not picking on the Lutheran. Choose any denomination you want to. The reason it's not happening is because they have generations of blind preachers who have passed on their blindness. And they passed on, and the children born in those churches are born blind. And they don't know the God of miracles. They don't know a God who heals. A God who delivers. Can I bring it down just a little more? This is a problem around the, the message today. Is we got too many blind preachers. Who are raising generations of blind people. That can only talk about. They can see back in the prophet's day. But that was only for the prophet. It can only be back then. It's not now. You know, oh, don't try to be the prophet. I'll tell you what, Elisha wanted to be Elijah. 
Except he wanted a double portion. Amen. What's wrong with us saying we want to be everything? We saw what a son of God could do and what God could do through a son of God in this generation. Why can't we be a son just like that son? Amen. If he was a sheep that was waved saying there's more to come, then there's got to be a people rise that has faith just like he had faith. That believe just like he believed. And preachers who are not blinded and they're children. <laughs> it's a lack of faith being preached into the people. Faith has to be preached into the people. That makes them let that sixth sense, which is faith, and it must not lay dormant. It has to be preached an active faith. So I'm preaching on these things. So Brother Tim, couldn't you preach on some? Brother Brandon preached on perfect faith. This is what we must have. So, you know, again, we can have preaching that actually neglects faith. Yet we can preach, oh, my, flowery sermons on great mysteries. And, oh, my, we and don't even have the basic element of faith. Can't even see because you're to walk by faith. But if you walk by me, you'll fall in a ditch. This is Bible teaching. Amen. So we must, we must have faith preached. So you see, the preaching of faith um, can, can bring faith. Or the, the pre, um, preaching that neglects faith will cause blind children. And the word preached without faith is a letter that kills. And it does not bring life. But if the the Bible said the word preached did not profit them. It didn't do them no good. It didn't do them any good to hear the seals are open. The mysteries revealed. And all these great wonderful truths. And look at them and marvel them. It doesn't do any good to preach it. Unless we mix it with faith. You know what I preached the other day about the opening of the seals and the title deed of redemption and, and the clearing of the deed. Let me ask you something, Brother Johnny. Did that give you faith? Amen. Amen. Did that give you faith? Did it give you faith? It gave us all faith to know our deed is clear. That's what the word preach has got to do. It must produce faith. Faith to what? To know who you are. To know your position. Not just to know your enemy, but to know who you are. Amen. <laughs> but I want you to st- stop for a moment. We've got a lot of preaching today that, that blinds faith. Some of these preach, this preaching declares that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is only a temporal gift. But that's only true if you're Balaam or, or Caiaphasus. And you're just anointed. I mean, there ain't nothing temporary about the Holy Ghost. It's eternal. How could we call it temporary for us? It's an eternal gift. And when it's a gift, he can't get, he's not an Indian giver. He never takes it back. Oh, somebody help me preach there. Amen. He, God's not an Indian giver. If he gave you the Holy Ghost, he's not going to take it back. 
God. Notice, notice again, you see, uh, again, the Holy Ghost abides. It dwells within them. And it seals them until the day of redemption. I want you to know the Holy Ghost you receive is not temporary. I still, I sat in a congregation and I heard a preacher preach and he said, well, the Holy Ghost we got today won't keep you. And I looked at him and I said, huh, well, who wants it? Who needs it? Am I, what good is it if it won't keep me? I want you to know it'll not only save you, it'll keep you. It not only cleanses you, it fills you. It not only fills you, it seals you. How long? To the day of redemption. To the day your body is changed. Hallelujah. Amen. But more of this faith was preached and said, well, the word that fell on the day of Pentecost won't work today. And when you take that out of context, it's used to blind people and make them faithless. Amen. I want you to know this is the same doctrine that Paul preached. This is the same word by word, teaching by teaching, line by line, letter by letter. We have returned back to the land of Pentecost. Back to the book of Acts. Is somebody here to have me preach? Amen. We have returned. Wait a minute. The book of Acts means the book of actions. Not a dead letter. But where the Holy Ghost is acting in his people. It wasn't the acts of the apostles, it was the acts of the Holy Ghost in the apostle. Amen. 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 And we pray, you know, oh, you go, we want to preach and talk about all of the failures and all the problems and all the things they had in the book of Acts. That's not what's being restored. God ain't bringing us back to the bitterness and the problems and the failures of the book of Acts. He's bringing us back to the victories of the book of Acts. Now, you're the vine. Or he's the vine. We're the branches. That's the doctrine of the vine. The first branch. The second branch has to produce the same doctrine. If he's the vine, we're the branches. Whatever the doctrine was in the, in the, in the, in the vine has to be in the branch. And the branch comes on the vine, it'll do the same thing that the vine did. Amen. You say, well, Brother Tim, what about that? And what word won't work? Well, we don't have to, we don't have to wait in the city of Jerusalem. We don't have to make a trip back to Mecca or to Jerusalem to be endued with power from on high. We don't even have to wait for the Holy Ghost anymore. It's already here. You can receive it today. Amen. The reason why they had to wait is because the sacrifice had just been made and he was ascending to heaven to make the presentation of what the blood has done so he could send back the Holy Spirit, the life of the blood to come live in the church. And that's why they had to wait. But we don't have to wait anymore. We're not waiting on the atonement to be complete. The atonement is complete. It is a full atonement. And we can receive the Holy Ghost. Oh my, you can receive it right in your seat. You can receive it right this moment. You do not have to wait on it any longer. <coughs> now, you know, there again, unbelief, blind in faith, lambs left the mercy seat. Because he only atoned for ignorance. Why, well, he certainly did atone for ignorance. But it's ignorant to say that's all he atoned for. 
That's pretty ignorant. Amen. He, he atoned for unbelief. Sin of every kind. He atoned for sickness. Every sickness there is. Amen. He took those stripes in his body. Amen. Oh my, when we just realize that's why there's healing and communion. Amen. Because the blood saved us, but the stripes healed us. Amen. The bread that the body that was broken heals us. Come on. Amen. That's why, that's why we're healed because it's in the atonement. Amen. Oh, you know, again, again, we, we will, he's not off the mercy seat. He's right here and will remain until the physical return of Jesus Christ. And he, today, the Bible's clear, he ever liveth to make intercession. This is the reason he lives. He lives. Listen, what he lives for. You know, sometimes people say, oh man, I, I, I just live for another bite of mama's chocolate cake. I just live for my first cup of coffee. But Jesus lives. He ever lives. He can't wait. It's his delight to intercede on your behalf. For you to take your burden and cast it upon him. Knowing he's got the cure for your cancer. For your sickness. For your pornography. For your sin. For whatever. He's got the cure. Hallelujah. And that you can cast your cares on him. For he lives to do it. Oh no, this is not a repeat of Pentecost. No, never again will the Holy Ghost fall upon a hundred Jews, 120 Jews in the upper room and speak in myriads of languages as, as it did there. But it'll fall on individuals. It'll fill them and these signs shall follow them that believe. And in my name they shall cast out devils and they will speak in tongues. They'll prophesy, they'll cast out devils. But any message that blinds the people from a living Christ is a perverted message of Satan. And that's what's being offered in too many churches today is a dead religion. It's a dead religion of cold creeds. Saying the days of miracles are past. Now, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I like my food hot. If my wife fixes me a bowl of soup and it ain't hot enough, I said, look, get some more heat on this. I can't eat this cold. Amen. I've never been a fan of cold sandwiches. Now, you may like them. That's okay. But I want mine thrown in the griddle. And I want it heated from top to bottom and toasted on both sides. I don't like cold food. And when he so told us to serve the lamb, he said, don't serve it cold. Roast it with fire. Well, why have we let the fire go out in our churches? And we're serving cold creeds. It will not satisfy the hunger of God's children. They've got to have their food hot. They've got to be, got to be served with fire. The Holy Ghost get all over it. What good is a sermon if it's cold? What good is a message?
CTV is just a bunch of cold theology. It ain't no good. Get the fire of the Holy Ghost warming that food, moving in the church, moving in the people, warming their bellies, setting them on fire, sending them out with an energy to go out and meet the devil. What is the message? Well, it's not a gospel different from what Paul preached. Brother Branham was told when he went beyond the curtain of time that he'd be judged as to how he compared with Paul's gospel. Romans 2.16 says, God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Paul would say to the Galatians, I'm surprised you've turned to another gospel, which there is no other, but rather a make-believe gospel. Just a denominational fiction. You turn from the good news of our resurrected Lord Jesus. And I, and I want to say today, who has bewitched us that we obey not the truth? What kind of spirit would want to get in among us there that would, would, would pull our focus away from who Jesus is? Because it's in who he is as to who we are. Amen. It's because of his atonement is the reason we can stand where we stand. Amen. We cannot turn from the good news of our resurrected Lord. That good news of a resurrected Christ says that because I live, you shall live also. John 14, 12 said the works that I do will identify you. Amen. The works that I do, you shall do also. I drove by a church today on the way, not picking on them. You know, I'm trying to, I try to go with them as far as I can on their sign. But it was a church that, and they put a sign, we preach Christ and him crucified. Well, that's the problem, is we're preaching a dead Christ. We're preaching Christ and him dead. And I say that's the fault. That's the problem. Amen. That's the crux of the matter. I want to declare today, he ain't dead. He was crucified, but he's alive. Amen. He's not a dead creed. He's a living Christ. And I'm not preaching just a crucified Christ, but I'm preaching a resurrected Christ. A living Christ with a living faith and a faith that prevails. And that's what our focus has got to be on. A prevailing faith. A faith that will overcome in the worst of crisis. A faith that will overcome when everybody around you falls. When the contemporaries around you are in every kind of evil thing. And yet you keep living. Why? Because I live... By the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. God bless you. Let the musicians come. You can find the key for that old song we used to sing. We should still sing it. I care not today what tomorrow may bring. Whether sunshine or shadow or rain. The Lord that I know, he ruleth over everything. 
and it's useless to worry. All my worries in vain. How many wants to be a church today that lives by faith? The just shall live by faith. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Amen. Let's stand together. I care not today what the morrow may bring if shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth for everything and all of my worry is vain.